you have someone on your heart you would love the de- you would love for them to know Christ you would love for them to know more about Christ to be transformed by him the big question is how do you relate to them what is your primary way of relating to this individual you have a brother a sister a father a mother distant relative maybe it's your next door neighbor someone you work with or at your local church meeting but you think about them you carry them on your heart you do want to connect with them, and so the big question is, how do you do it? Well, the answer is there are two ways that you connect with a person. You connect with them superficially, and you connect with them at the level of the heart. Now, all of you people who disdain superficiality, may I appeal to you to rethink how you think about relationships. May you have a more comprehensive view of relationships. Superficiality is important. Small talk leads to deep talk. And the truth is you don't have, it is impossible to have all deep people in your life. You really don't want all deep people in your life. If you have all deep people in your life, then you're probably not evangelizing. Well, not probably. You're not evangelizing. And so superficiality is the first mile marker in building a relationship so you don't disdain it. Now, if all you have are superficial relationships, well, you need to pray the other way. Dear God, please send someone to me who loves Jesus and wants to talk about the Lord. People who are superficial all the time, well, that wears thin And people who are deep all the time, well, that is tedious. I counsel for two hours historically when I meet with someone, and we are not deep for two hours because that does not serve them, and it doesn't serve me. It wears both of us out. So what do we do in two hours? We go deep. We talk about dysfunction and brokenhearted things. And then we come up and we exhale. We breathe. We We take a breath, we laugh, we tell jokes, and then we go back down into the depths again of their despair or whatever is happening. And so my question is, how do you connect with that person that you have a burden for? Well, one is superficially, and of course you have a gospel agenda, therefore you want to connect with them in depth too. And so the answer to the question is both. I'm talking about reaching people reaching them initially in conversation and then reaching them at the level of their heart. It's imperative to reach folks at the right place if they are going to experience biblical transformation. Now, ultimately, the right place is at their heart. If you don't connect at the heart level, you won't be able to help them to mature in Christ. I was talking to my son recently about our dog as we were going on a walk and our dog likes to bark at cars and i thought how funny it would be if one of those cars were to stop what would he do well we know what he would do he would just stare at it because he didn't know what to do with a car a stopped car and so that's the question that you can ask yourself the person that you have a burden for that you would love to see change you have a child that that you hope that they would just want to love God with all the heart, soul, mind, and strength. You have a sibling, a parent, a friend. What if they stopped? What if they stopped and asked you, 
Will you help me to untangle the idolatries of my heart? Will you walk me through what I'm struggling with? Do you have a sound heart theology? Welcome to the podcast. You're listening to Your Daily Drive. I am Rick Thomas, and I'm glad that you are here. If you want to read this podcast, I want you to. All you have to do is go to our website, rickthomas.net, look for this title, The Best Way to Connect with Someone to Help Them Change. And you can read it. We have embedded links here, and there's a video here, and so there's a lot that you can pick up on, and I trust that it will serve you. As always, if you have any questions, you can come to our free community forum. Someone was out there today. That is a typical thing, and we love helping people. We are a a dialogue ministry. We interact with people. And so if you want to dialogue with us, there's one place in all the world where that will happen. And it will be on our website and our community forums are free. If you want to learn more about discipleship, how to disciple that person, the car stops. They turn around. They ask you to walk them through their problem. Well, if you want to learn more how to do that, the, the books in the Bible that do that better than any other are the first four of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there's a guy there. His name is Jesus, and Jesus was remarkable. He was just remarkable at connecting with people. He connected with people superficially, and then with some of them, well, some of them, he, they went deep. And Jesus had a good heart theology, and he knew what to do with them. If our relationships and the means that we create these relationships, if they are not transformative or do not facilitate transformation, then we have missed the redemptive purpose of the Bible, which is the point of the gospel. Now, I don't want to guilt you into thinking that all of your relationships have to be this way, because that's not realistic. It's ludicrous, actually. Uh, you should have relationships all over the map. You'll have some that are superficial, and they will never be anything other than that. And then you will have others that are moving along on the spectrum, start out superficially, and they're getting deeper, and then you do have more mature relationships. But you must have that agenda that desire, dear Lord, uh, show me a way to connect with this person. Help us to enjoy our time together. Fun, laughter, eating, superficiality, joking. And then, Lord, just help me. Give me the wisdom and the insight so that we can go deeper, so that I can help this person to become more Christ-like. And Jesus was the prototype. When it comes to thinking about best practices for reaching people, his way of doing ministry, it transcends and supplants anything that I can share with you. And so, again, I, I do appeal to you. I, he, he is my favorite historical hero, and I, I do enjoy the four Gospels more than others because it's, well, it's the life of Christ. and He, he excelled. He excelled at gaining an audience, and he excelled in the transformation of them. Now, the first point, and, and maybe this is the primary point that I want you to think about, that the way that he reached people is by becoming like them. Now, that is the heart of the gospel. Paul taught that in Philippians 2, that Jesus, who was in the form of God, took on flesh so that he could live among us. Live among us is the language that you see in John 1.14. He dwelt among us. He tabernacled 
among us. And so Jesus was among the people, not just among the people. He took on flesh to become like us, as the Hebrew writer said in 2, 14 and 15. It is reasonable to conclude that Jesus became like us by becoming us. But this raises a question. When he became like us, exactly what does that mean? Did he become like our totally depraved former manner of life? Well, you know, he didn't become like us that way. He was perfect. Well, okay, so then did he become a better version of us? Well, ding, ding, ding. That is the answer. He became a better version of us. He he. He was perfect. And so somehow Jesus related to people, connected with people, but he wasn't like them. I mean, he was like them in that he could connect with them, but he presented something different. And it's kind of what I was teasing out earlier. If you just live superficially with people, you know, if you're a believer, you're probably a hedonistic believer. You live in the shallows. You live superficially, and you really don't offer anything different. And so Jesus had this way of connecting with people that he related to them. He became like them, but yet at the same time, he was different from them. And that is the wisdom that you and I need. And this question of becoming like them but being different from them it does cut to the heart to how we relate to others within our Christian community. And where you choose to land on this discussion, it is a watershed issue. It will not only determine how you relate to people, but it will determine how effective you are in your cooperation with the Lord in helping people mature in Christ. The two ways of relating to another person, these two ways that I have described— Becoming like them, but yet being different from them. Well, if you just if you just become like them and you cater to their most selfish desires, you have nothing to offer them. But yet, if you become like them, relate to them, but yet you are noticeably different from them, well, that's worlds apart from that other person. Relating to the heart of someone, it gives you the best chance to help them to mature into Christ-likeness. As you know, I trust that all of life flows from the heart, which makes heart ministry the primary focus for transformative work. And so you need wisdom in how to connect, relate to people. You don't want to be that self-righteous, legalistic, separationist kind of person that is just so different from the world that it's not possible for you to connect with them. And and those type of people, they kind of give off the vibe of disdaining and looking down on, on, on people. But yet you don't want to go to the other extreme where you're so much like the world. I mean, not so much like, you are like the world, and you aren't offering anything different. I mean, from a macro view, we've seen this within the Christian world. For example, from a macro view, uh, airplane view, the seeker-sensitive movement. You know what that is. It's a, it's a church movement. They're not necessarily connected to each other, but their worldview is, and their worldview is to become like the culture. And, and so they, they, they bent their personalities and their presentations and their ministries. They, they bent it toward uh, the people's preferences, and they, and they became so much like the culture. Now, people 
argue on both sides of this, and I, I do understand both arguments. I I don't get hung up on it. It's not a really a point that I – it's not even something that I talk about necessarily. Or let me, let me say it this way. It's not the first thing that I think about when it comes to the secret-sensitive movement. If the first thing that you think about as far as how a church <laughs> functions is preferences or historic traditions – then I would appeal to you to give some thought to your understanding of the local church. Paul said it this way in Philippians 1, that as long as the gospel, Christ is preached. You know, is the church preaching Christ? Is the gospel being preached? That is the most important thing. We can haggle all day as to whether we're looking like the world or not looking like the world. I have my ideas on that, and I tend to go both ways because it's just not an issue with me. Sometimes I wear flip-flops and a t-shirt to the local church meeting, and then sometimes I, I dress for success, whatever that means, because it's just not the primary issue to me. But we do see in the secret-sensitive movement where they've tried to live in this tension of relating to the world, but yet bringing transformation to those people. Now, if they succeeded at it or not, that's an argument for another day for another podcast. And then we also see that through the music wars. And again, this is a second macro view. Uh, Some people believe that contemporary music, that it allows you to reach the culture. Then others believe that if you you amp up the music and add videos, splash, you're becoming like the culture, and you're not going to transform. There's no transformation happening. And again, I land right in the middle of this because I just those arguments are, are non-compelling to me. I got other things to, to think about. I like songs that are 200 years old. I really do. My favorite all-time song is When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. I have made my appeal to my family that they sing that song at my funeral, but I also like the modern songs as well. But I understand the tension. Here's the tension. How do I relate to this person without compromising the gospel? And that is the thing that you're going to have have to think about. And, of course, Jesus did this better than anyone else. And it's this aspect of the life of Christ that that I love so much. And honestly, the church, the church is, a lot of the church is just failing in this area. We get all jacked up over whether it should be conservative or contemporary. And I, again, I understand the argument, but you know what? It doesn't matter if it's a necktie church or a jean church, if it's a contemporary music church or a conservative music church. Here's what matters. The car stopped. Let's say that whichever preference you have, that it fills up your church building with human beings. Okay, now what do you have? I was working with a church not so long ago, and they were going through the conservative contemporary wars within the church, and it's divided the church. And one of the interesting things about the church is there was a systemic inability to disciple People did not know generally. There were a few that did. But the majority, the overwhelming majority of the church did not know how to disciple, and they were strung out over this war between contemporary and conservative. My concern was is that if whichever one of those, whoever won that war, and let's say they filled up the building with bodies, what are they going to do with them? 
they can't disciple them. Let me state this clearly. If you do not connect with a person at the heart, you will not engage them in such a way that will bring transformation. You may fill the building with people, but they won't experience change. They may love your music. They may like your relevant relationship with Christ, but it will be a clanking symbol if you do not know how to do the work of discipleship. The reason Jesus was able to connect with his audience, it was not that he related to his audience according to their preferences. And this is an interesting thing. I seriously doubt he went out of his way to try to connect that way with people. He was not a traditionalist. The traditionalists hated him. And the secret-sensitive people, well, that, that, wasn't on, that wasn't his thing. Christ had a more in-depth view when it came to relating to folks. His words penetrated the hearts of men. And even the folks under his tutelage, they took on his style. They modeled his transformation ministry. I don't want to be overly redundant here, but any ministry must facilitate transformation for it to be biblical regardless of the preferences of how they do it. The point of the Bible is about transforming lives. And you can measure the success of transformation within your ministry. And you say, well, I don't have a ministry. I'm a stay-at-home mom. That's your ministry. I'm a dad, and I work a nine-to-five job, or I work third shift. I don't have a ministry. Yes, you do. You have a family You have people in your neighborhood. You have people on the job. Everybody has a ministry, and there's a way of measuring, and I call it biblical success, to see if if you have a transformational ministry, and that's by looking at the result of the people within your ministry sphere. Are some of those people being transformed? I apply that to this ministry here. If, If we... If, if people are not experiencing change and affirming change in their lives, if we're not hearing about that, and that's sometimes why I share with you what God is doing in this ministry, because I want you to know this is what the Lord is doing. It is a transformational ministry, and that's how you measure it. And so stay-at-home mom, you, you look at your children, and are, are you seeing the... The small, small, incremental, tedious steps of transformation happening in those children. And I know when you look at it at a, mac- a micro view, like today, whatever the drama has been today, it's like there's no transformation happening here. But over a 10-year period, a five-year period, you look at it, there should be transformational ministry because you should be cooperating with the Lord in such a way that you're seeing these baby steps, pun intended, or whatever your ministry sphere is. Take youth ministry, for example. I'll give you one more macro uh, illustration. The inability of youth leaders to do transfer transformational ministry is one of the most significant weaknesses in youth ministry. And I'm not dogging out on youth ministries, but I've just seen so much of it. 
many of these teen and college ministries, they have people who are leading them who do not know how to disciple. It's a phenomenal thing. Jesus said, go and make disciples, yet we have ministry leaders doing ministry that don't know how to go and make disciples. They're not disciple makers. I don't necessarily see it as their fault. I mean, somebody had to put them in the position of a ministry leader. Part of it is that they haven't gained life experience. Part of it is they haven't had anybody to come alongside them to show them how to be a disciple maker. Part of it is that it's it's not even realistic. I mean, how can an unmarried 20-something know how to parent a 12-year-old or a 16-year-old? Some people will say, well, you know, he he was a 12-year-old or 16-year-old once upon a time, and so that makes him qualified to counsel youth, not necessarily. Take that same logic. If you believe that any 20-something should be able to disciple someone younger than them because they lived that age, then your logic says that a 50-year-old can disciple anyone younger than them, and you know that that's not true. Too often, churches leave the youth ministry to a bunch of good-hearted people, and I do want you to hear that because I'm not throwing shade on youth ministries, but but too often, the churches will leave the ministry to a bunch of good-hearted people who do not know how to lead a child or a teenager into transformation. If you want to measure that, all you have to do is just ask You know, ask your youth leader to walk youth through the process of change. How do you disciple someone? Their default approach to relating to the kids is typically through external behavioral entertainment. The leaders become a bigger version of the kids that they are leading. They have fun with them because that is all they know how to do. They they do not know how to disciple My goal here is not to embarrass anyone or to put anyone on the spot. It's really not. It's not my heart. My hope here is that you would take time to honestly assess yourself. And so what I don't want you to do is to jump on the secret-sensitive movement and, and the pros and cons of it. It was merely an illustration of how a larger macro group of churches have tried to relate to people and bring transformation to them. Whether we give them a pass or fail, that's not the most important question for you. I also illustrated it with music ministry, contemporary versus uh, traditional. And there's pros and cons on both sides. And it's just an illustration of how, again, people are trying to relate. They want to relate to draw them in and with the hope of bringing transformation. And again, we we could talk about that, but that's not the main point. And then I talked about youth ministry where they have young people in there, and I'm not against young people. They do that for relatability primarily. But do they know how to bring transformation to the very people that they're ministering to? But the more important question, not youth ministry, not music ministry, not global church ministry like Seeker Sensitive, but will you honestly assess yourself? Do do you know how to do you know how to take someone from wherever they may be a hurting person and connect with them and connect with them in such a way that they they want to communicate with you and, and then you're able to move into the depths of their heart uh, 
to be able to untangle what is going on with them. If you cannot do this, if you cannot do this, then ultimately you will not be able to help them. They may like you. They may think that you're cool. They may be crazy in love with your relevant church. But if you can't disciple them through a problem that they bring to you, your Christianity is no better than the cool stuff in our culture. If all you have to draw them in is a sanitized version of the world, you'll not anchor them in Jesus. They will eventually leave. Christ was cool. He was relevant. Christ was modern. Christ was also educated in the Bible, and Christ was able to dissect any soul to bring the care the seeker needed. Christ did more than drawing a crowd. He was able to transform people. He connected and counseled, and the fruit was objective and compelling. And you can do this too. Listen to what, listen to what Jesus said in John 14, 12. I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. You can do this. The title of the podcast is The Best Way to Connect with Someone to Help Them. Your starting point is superficiality. I'm using that language, and again, that might not be your, your favorite word. That's fine. Substitute it with, someone, with something else. But you start at the very base level of relationship, and you begin to connect with that person. But you have to know how to move them along. Let's say that God did give you the gift the gift to disciple well. First of all, I mean, no, I'm sorry, let's say that God did not give you the gift to disciple well, because that's what I hear. People do say that. I've heard that defense many times. I just don't have the gift for discipleship. My first response is, that's a subjective assessment. I, I mean, that's like a counselor walking away from a counseling session and saying, that's not a good, that wasn't a good counseling session. Can you hear the arrogance? I mean, there's, it, it could sound like humility to you, but it could also sound like arrogance. Who are you to determine if the counseling session wasn't good since you're not the counselor the Holy Spirit is? Now, maybe you did do something really dumb and it wasn't a good counseling session. If you did, you need to repent of it. But, but in a vacuum, I mean, it's a subjective assessment. But, but for the sake of argument, let's say you don't know how to disciple someone. Okay, I'll, I'll run with you on that. You don't know how to disciple someone. Then here's some questions that I want you to ponder. Number one, how do you fully engage those who do know how to disciple to complement what they are doing? If you don't know how to disciple someone, how are you engaging those who do know how to disciple? See, it won't work to say, I don't know how to do it, and then just sit on your rear end and you don't do anything about it. How are you assisting the discipleship ministry of your church? How are you being part of the solution? If you don't know how to do it, how are you connecting with those who can help you to do it? Number two, if the goal is maturity in Christ, how does your role within the church help facilitate this good aim? There is a place for you within the local church. You can be somewhere doing ministry within your local church, helping in some way. You have some gifting, and whatever that gifting is, it's going to be part of what God can use to help disciple someone, whether you're working in the 
uh, youth ministry or working in the child care or whether you're a greeter, it doesn't matter. You should be functioning. You should have a role within your local church. And as you continue to engage people within your local church, you're going to grow in your understanding of relationships, and you'll begin to learn more about how to care for others. Number three, what changes can you make to draw more attention to the matters of the heart rather than just targeting behavioral connecting only? If you're a person who likes to hang out on the superficial you're the superficial person. How can you start changing? Are you afraid of going deep with others? Are you using the excuse that you don't know how to do that? If you're using the excuse that you're not a disciple maker, then you need to buddy up with someone who is so that you can learn. You need to be making changes so that you can start learning how to identify the matters of the heart. If you need help with this, if you want to learn how to do the work of discipleship, I do appeal to you to reach out to our ministry. Some of you are already saying, "I don't. My local church is not interested in any of this stuff." You're 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 speaking in an unknown tongue, and I know that's true for some local churches because doing the work of discipleship is just not their thing. I was talking to a pastor last week who left his church because his church said they didn't believe in discipleship. They didn't believe in biblical counseling, and so. I know that those churches are out there, and if you need someone to connect with, you can connect with our ministry. We'll be glad to advise you, guide you. We even have a mastermind program where we train individuals in the skill of discipleship. And so I've left you with no excuse. And so if you, if all you have is us, if that, if we are all that you have, then I appeal to you to come to us. The first thing I would like for you to do, I would ask you to do, is read this article carefully. Again, the title of it is "The Best Way to Connect with Someone to Help Them Change." And then after you read it, I want you to come to our free community forum and then ask your questions. And let's start there. Uh, we're here to serve you. And again, perhaps you have something else that you're, you you have a question about, well, you can ask that as well, because this is what we do. We do the work of discipleship without apology, and we would love to serve you if you'll let us.